Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. Come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of Lord. Would you please pray with me? God of grace and peace, we pray for a moment of pause, a moment where the busyness, the distractions, and the anxieties of our life will fade away so that we can be present, so that we can relax into your grace, and there we can hear your word for us. Amen. Well, today is the final Sunday in the season of Epiphany, which is the sort of joyous kind of upbeat season that celebrates the realization that Jesus is the Messiah. It begins with Jesus being baptized at the Jordan River. And the heavens open up. The voice of God declares, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And from there on out, things go great. Jesus is healing and teaching in front of huge crowds. And, and this kind of positive energy keeps going up until our final week in the season of Epiphany, where Jesus climbs up a mountain and is transfigured. He starts glowing with the radiance of God's glory. And, and Moses and Elijah are by his side. And again, we hear the voice of God. This is my son, 
with whom I'm well pleased. And this, this almost feels like the high point of Jesus' ministry, so far at least. And then, right, when things are going so well, Jesus heads down the mountain, he turns his face towards Jerusalem, and the gospel story seems to pivot. This first half has been hopeful, but the exuberance of epiphany can only last so long. Jesus heads down the mountain, and immediately he starts talking about his death. The disciples start arguing about who's the greatest, and the Pharisees start scheming to arrest Jesus. Jesus then journeys on to Jerusalem, and the tone of our scriptures change, and we embrace the somber, reflective nature of Lent. And this actually, every year, we look at the transfiguration and this transition from the season of Epiphany to the season of Lent. But this year I was struck with just sort of how human this moment is. Or said another way, like how many of us can relate to that very human experience of of navigating big shifts in our personal and spiritual lives, and and actually navigating that transition in ways that seem to mirror what Jesus encounters in the scriptures. The the transitions in the life of faith are are almost like reflected in the church seasons that actually kind of take us through the Gospels. You know, the first one is Advent, where we're kind of looking forward to the birth of Jesus. It's, it's the waiting season. And then there's the season of Christmas, which is the season of childlike faith. Like, in Christmas, all we need to know is that the Messiah is born, and the Messiah is one of us. So we rejoice with baby Jesus. Then, after Christmas, we move on to Epiphany which is the season of revelation. It it kind of feels like the season of maturing. It begins with the voice of God as Jesus is baptized, then moves to Jesus reinterpreting the law and helping us make faith our own. And and really the, the kind of a tone of epiphany reminds me of my adolescent faith that period of life where I was filled with excitement as like faith became my own and and finally the world began to make sense. And and that looks different for different folks, but Epiphany is kind of a season of conversion and baptism and understanding. But then, right as things are getting good, Lent arrives. The season of desert spirituality. And this also seems to mirror the life of faith for many of us. I think for a lot of us, at different times in our life, at one point, things became less simple. The world became less black and white. I I don't know what, you know, like, the small group leader we idolized went through a nasty divorce. Our friends came out, and all the simple answers of our adolescent friends Faith just didn't seem to cut it. And then on top of that, life happens. You know, life gets busier and harder, and 
And for many of us, we slipped into a spiritual desert. And and I don't know about y'all or if this resonates with you, but for me, this was not a welcome presence in my life. The, The paradigm of faith that I grew up with sort of told me I should live my whole life in epiphany. I should just be able to keep exciting, keep discovering new and exciting things about Jesus every day. So when that just stopped happening, I figured something was wrong with me and that I just wasn't that spiritual. But looking back, I think that my spirituality was just shifting as I was undergoing developmental changes. Uh, Carl Jung is one of my favorite psychologist, particularly because he did a lot between the connection of psychology and spirituality. And he believed that we spend the first part of our life, like the first half of our life, developing our ego and our connection to the world. We, We focus on making friends, establishing a career, maybe finding a partner. And during this early stage, the early stages of life, we form our identity from what the world tells us about ourselves, And that's even respect, uh, reflected in our spiritual development. We search for a community that tells us how to orient ourselves to God, and how to orient ourselves to faith. And, and often we're drawn to rules and laws and structure that make sense of the world. But then things shift. For some of us, our life falls apart. And we find ourselves in the afternoon of our lives. Our mortality feels more real. And we find ourselves asking big questions that are just a little bit different. Like, is there something more to me than who I present to the world? Am I more than what I accomplish or what people think of me? Who, who am I deep down when all this begins to fade? As Jung said, the, the afternoon of our life it is characterized by the inner work of, of searching for our authentic self, who we really are down deep. And, and again, this is, shows up in our spiritual life. I mean. Part of that's because I think all inner work is inherently spiritual. But also, as we search for who we truly are, we face the possibility that the spiritual norms and the, the faith practices that we inherited, those might not really nourish our soul. So we search for a faith that gives us life as we, as we try to integrate our inner self with the way that we live. And and this is all like really big stuff. It's not easy. Uh, And and actually, Jung warned that if if we don't examine the sort of laws and beliefs of our early life, it might damage the second half of our life. Actually, he said damage our soul in the second half of life. He joked, and I think he was joking, but I'm not entirely sure, But he wrote that we need a college for 40-year-olds to prepare them for the second half of life just as much as we need a college for 20-year-olds to prepare them for their career. 
And, and this was, this sort of was kind of like all union stuff was in my background and I find it interesting, but I don't know, maybe like six months ago, I just read this little snippet that has, that I've been thinking about since. That, that you said that with all this in the background, that it's not young people, but middle-aged people who benefit the most from a spiritual experience. He actually believed that, that spirituality was what we need to negotiate the second half of our life. Like, when the zeal of our youth fades, renewed spirituality can remind us what motivated our youthful exuberance. When the routines of life feel like they will never end, a, a spiritual experience can help us transcend the mundane. And I don't think that means you need, like, a big, dramatic conversion experience. In fact, it seems to me that, that the spirituality of the middle of our lives often becomes a little bit more subtle. Maybe it takes more work to see and to feel God's presence in the world. But, but this is the period of our lives when an experience of the divine can have a huge impact. We need spirituality, but it probably won't look the same as the spirituality of our youth. And, and, that, and the differences between the spirituality of our youth and our midlife, that's actually kind of what draw me, drew me to the text this week. Because twice in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus hears the voice of God. And I realize that it happens once to begin the season of Epiphany and a second time as we transition out of it. Both times, a voice calls down from heaven, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. These exact same words, but the experience of receiving them was really different. The first time, as I said, it was at Jesus' baptism. And that feels like it had like, the, the vibe of a coronation. John was the most popular preacher in the country, and he baptizes Jesus in front of an adoring crowd. The heavens open up, and a dove comes down. The voice of God blesses Jesus as the crowds go with him. Like, everything about this feels like the exciting beginning of a faith journey. Everything looks better than it did yesterday. But the second time Jesus hears the voice of God, things are different. Instead of the heavens coming, opening up, a cloud overshadows them. The disciples that, that are with Jesus are greatly afraid and they hit the deck. Jesus has to come and tell them to get off the ground and not be afraid. And even though this experience was amazing and transcendent, it was complicated. And I'm not sure it was a lot of fun. The spiritual experiences that come in the middle of the journey are quite different than the ones that start the journey. And I wonder if that's because the second half of the journey will be different. It'll be a journey of transfiguration, a journey of finding ourselves. 
You know, the word transfiguration does not mean a change of who someone is, but a revelation of their true nature. The church uses the word transfiguration to describe a change in experience, in appearance, that shows the world the inner person. So, in Jesus' case, he glowed with the radiance of God. But I believe that transfiguration process is available to all of us as we work to reveal the inner self. I don't know, maybe that's the inner self that we've kept quiet or kept hidden or we didn't know or maybe even struggled to embrace. And that means the journey isn't always easy. But it is a well-worn path. One of the things that I think about the most in just sort of, I don't know, maybe what I appreciate about almost Christianity, that sounds super broad, um, but it is, is the thousands of years of spiritual tradition that is passed down to us. We have seasons of spirituality built into the rhythms of the church. We have guides to help us along the way. And there are two or three really interesting guides here. The first time Jesus hears the voice of God, John the Baptist is sort of functioning like his guide. guide. And John is perfect to launch Jesus' ministry. As I said, John's the most popular preacher in the country. It says in, I think, Luke, that all of Jerusalem was coming out to see him. And it says here, Pharisees, Sadducees, everyone was coming out to see John. And John knew how popular he was. (laughs) If you want an idea of, well, frankly, just John's ego, he starts trash-talking King Herod, the cruel despot. He's afraid of no one. So when John falls at Jesus' feet and says, I am not worthy to baptize you, John is helping teach all of us who Jesus is. He's kind of a perfect guide for epiphany and revelation. The second time Jesus hears the voice of God, his guides have changed. When Jesus arrives atop the mountain, Moses and Elijah speak to him. And we don't actually know what they say. But I wonder if they were preparing Jesus for the difficult journey ahead. I wonder if these men were sharing how they found God in this afternoon of their lives. Because remember Moses was born royalty. He had it all until he killed a man and had to flee for his safety. And and Moses did not go looking for God. Moses found God when he got sidetracked investigating a bush that was on fire. And when Moses encountered God, Moses didn't think he was worthy to speak for God because he had a disability that made it hard for him to speak. Moses encountered God in his own brokenness and vulnerability. And then there's Elijah. Elijah was like one of the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> Just 
as a snippet. Elijah once challenged 400 Canaanites priests to prove whose God was real. And you know how Elijah won? By making a cow spontaneously combust. Elijah, whose flame burned so bright that it almost went out. For on the other side of this tremendous energy and zeal was a deep depression that led Elijah to the desert where he ran away from everyone and prayed that his life would end. And Elijah is still overcome with suicidal ideation when he meets God. But when Elijah meets God again, it is not in the earthquake, in the powerful wind, or in the fire. Elijah finds God in the sound of sheer silence. These are two people who know brokenness. They know God is there when it seems like God has abandoned us. They found God in the desert of their lives. And they found God literally in the desert. They found God in the place where they were running from God. And these are our guides as we transition into the season of Lent, the season of desert spirituality. Because the church, in all her wisdom, saw that the journey of faith is not a straight and narrow path. What worked so well at the beginning of the journey is not always what we need to sustain us. So the church set aside the season of Lent to help us navigate the desert road. And, and Lent is one of the few seasons that has built-in spiritual practices. And I find myself wondering if that's because the journey inward takes more attention. Maybe it's a little bit less exciting. Maybe God seems less subtle. Maybe we have to search harder to find God in the world and find God in our lives. So to help us do this, in the season of Lent, we're encouraged to confess, which is, you know, just an honest assessment of how we're doing and what we might need to change so that our public life and the way we are in the world is in alignment with the authentic self God created us to be. We're encouraged to fast to take a break from the things that distract us, or whatever that is, food, TV, internet, alcohol, to take a break from whatever we cling to, because it's often that that we love the most that clouds our vision of who we truly are. And we're encouraged to undertake spiritual disciplines, like prayer, and, and, I mean, honestly, for me, it's, it's pr prayer and meditation and exercise because this calms me and calms my nervous system and helps me to be more grounded and more present and more able to see the things that I often just overlook. 
And, and the season of Lent looks different for all of us because we're all in different places. But as we move to our time of reflection, and as we come forward to light a candle as a, as a form of prayer, I encourage you to take a moment to welcome this season of your life. I mean, embrace whatever season you find yourself in. And I encourage you to reflect on how this, this season might be an opportunity to find God in the world anew. Because no matter where we find ourselves in life, whether it is in a season of exuberance and discovery and hope, or in a season of desert spirituality where the road ahead looks a little bit less certain, no matter where we are, God is on that road with us. Amen.